Well, hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares. Work harder. Uh, Let me tell you, you should be bloody thankful that I am actually here doing this podcast this week because I am fucking exhausted. (laughs) I was like, I said to Ryan, oh my God, all right, I'm just going to go to the office and knock out this podcast. And he goes, really? And I was like, yep, needs to be done. Can't let my listeners down. I've been a bit flaky with the podcast recently. So, and actually the fact that I came to the office and I'm knocking out this podcast at 7 p.m. on a, what is it today? Wednesday evening when I have been getting up at 4 a.m. every single day since Saturday to uh, pull off the Million Dollar Mentor launch, which is happening uh, this Friday. We're, we're relaunching the Million Dollar Mentor program with a free five-day challenge. And because we decided to do it so late in the day because just the, the demand was so high, you know, post-COVID, everybody kept asking, they wanted a business program, people just want to not be working anymore in an office, they want to be in control of their own time, and they really want to know my secrets to growing and scaling an online business. And so, um, actually, this podcast, you guys are like streets ahead of the game listening to this podcast, because a lot of the, the things that made me successful I actually talk about in this podcast. But so we're launching um, a free training this Friday. Uh, it, it opens for registration this Friday, and it's called How to Create run and scale your own on seven-figure online business. And I'm literally going to break down over a five-day training the exact steps that I took to build my business. So there's a wee plug for the five-day challenge happening this week. Even if you never joined the Million Dollar Mentor, we have three epic options this time. Um, but even if you never joined it and you just did the five-day challenge, you're going to learn so much information because as you know, I'm a bloody good teacher. <laughs> Very modest as well, Kim. And uh, I also give away a huge amount of information for free. So uh, look out for that this Friday. If you just go to the milliondollarmentor.com, it'll be on the homepage you can sign up for the the training um, and that may be something you're interested in but so why have I been getting up at 4am well because um, normally my team would pull together all the parts of a launch because we normally give ourselves months and months and months um, in, in a lead up to a launch but because this one was so last minute and actually Alan who um, is my chief technology officer he and runs a company. His dad is very, 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 very ill with terminal cancer. And so it's very touch and go at the minute. And we don't even know, you know, how long he's going to last, which is really, really bad for poor Alan. And so um, because that's been going on with him and because it was so late, I just said, you know what, guys, I'm going to pull together this launch. And oh, my God, I've really enjoyed doing it. Now, of course, the team are still organizing it. Jamie Lee is still my uh, project manager, director of operations. She is still, you know, managing all the projects and everyone's still doing their bit. But it's so much easier whenever I I pull all the particulars together and that's exactly what I'm going to be teaching in the Million Dollar Mentor as well and that exact process. So, but here's the thing, right? I run a busy, big company. We have 30 full-time employees all over the world and I train, I would do cardio in the morning with Ryan at about eight o'clock and then I, we train in our home gym, which I'm going to talk about today as well. And then um, I don't usually get to the office until about... Um, let me say about 11.30, sometimes midday. And by the time I get here at midday, the whole world is alive and awake and everybody wants my attention. Everyone has questions for me and I never actually get a chance to sit down and do any work. I spend my whole time having meetings, which is great because I run the company and that's what I'm supposed to do. But so I realized that if I get up at 4 a.m., actually I'm getting up at 3.30 a.m., believe it or not. So I'm getting up at 3.30 a.m. every day and I get to um, get at least five to six hours of uninterrupted work in. 4, 4 p.m., 4 a.m. usually I'm sitting at the computer working. So I get about four hours in. This morning, Ryan had to go to Dublin. So I actually worked till midday. I got eight hours of work done. 
and I've managed to pull together the whole lunch. So, but of course, I still can't get to sleep at night when I go to bed, although I will sleep very well tonight because I've had a couple of naps during the day. What's that made? And then that's made me like lie awake till about 11 or half 11, cursing the fact I can't sleep because I know I have to get up again in four hours. So um, anyway, the fact that I'm here in the office rambling away and telling you about, you know, me being, giving myself a virtual pat on the back for being such a superstar and running my own company um, is uh, kind of part and parcel of what I'm going to talk about today, which is going to tie it all in because um, today I really want to talk about what is, uh, you know, what it takes to be successful. And uh, what it takes to be successful in the gym is the same as what it takes to be successful uh, at home, um, not at home. Okay, I really am losing my marbles. Maybe I should drink more whiskey. Um, what it takes to be successful in the gym is the same as what it takes to be successful in business or in your relationships or in life in general. So um, I'm really going to talk today about what it takes to be successful. So whether you're listening for business purposes, whether you're listening for uh, training purposes, or whether you just enjoy listening to me ramble on in your ear when you're doing a wee bit of cardio or walking your dog, um, I hope that you're going to get a lot from this episode um, because I think you're going to enjoy it. So before we get into the episode, I've just realized that uh, the team were picking the winner of the podcast uh, for this month. And I don't think anyone sent me through who the winner was. So I can't announce who the winner was. Um, So I'm really, really, really sorry. I will announce that next week on the podcast who the winner was for May. But don't forget, if you want to leave a review for the podcast, uh, we had a few more last month because of course I said that hardly anyone ever leaves review and so you have a great chance of winning and then that doubled our reviews last month so I think we probably had about 20 to choose from last month which really actually isn't a lot Um, and we do choose from the best written five-star review by the way you know the one who that really seems like it you know we have touched lives because we like to use those as well for uh, testimonials which is a really really good way to use for testimonials so the better the review you write the more likely you are to get chosen like if you just if you just say I'm just giving you tips for winning here because it's not me chooses them because I can be biased because I know a lot of my followers and a lot of my Instagram people who follow me. And so I don't want to be biased, but uh, so the team chooses them because they don't know anyone and they take a vote on them as well. So, the, you know, if you're just like, great podcast, that was awesome. Listen, you're definitely not going to win because it's not like a draw. It's uh, it's whoever writes the most heartfelt review gets uh, or the funniest or the quirkiest or whatever uh, gets, the, gets the program or wins the program. So if you want to leave a review uh, anywhere you listen to this, it's preferable for me if it's on iTunes, take a screenshot of it before you post it because you don't know where it disappears to once you posted it and send it to me on Instagram at the Sculpted Vegan and you could be with the chance of winning any of our Sculpted Vegan programs. Okay, so what does it take to be successful? Sometimes I find it hard to plan these episodes um, and I kind of think, what am I going to say? What am I going to talk about? Uh, and then of course it always flows because I'm a real blabbermouth and I can just chat for hours about the biggest pile of shite. So today though, it's not one of those days. Today, even though um, I'm on, I'm exhausted. Do you ever get whenever you're, I'm not exhausted actually, you know what? I feel I feel on top of the world. I feel so purposeful. I have so much adrenaline. Um, I feel like everything's flowing at the minute. And do you, do you ever get like the harder you work, the easier it becomes? And definitely that's how I'm feeling at the minute. So this podcast episode really, really, really flowed for me. And I really want to break down what does it take to be successful in the gym or what does it take to be successful in business? Those are the two areas I've enjoyed. Well, actually, I have actually, you know what? That's not true. I also have in love and relationships, I have the most phenomenal relationship with my husband, Ryan, because we excuse me, I just burped, <laughs> because we have worked so hard at our relationship. But today, okay, so uh, how are we going to start? Well, let me, let me tell you a story first. So 
Last week, uh, Ryan and I went away to London. So we took my, I like to take my family away on vacations. So now that I'm filthy rich, I just love to spoil people because that is part of the reason why I wanted to be really, really, really rich was so I can buy people really nice stuff. So um, we like to take my family away on vacation. And because London had opened up and even Belfast hadn't opened up yet, we've been on lockdown since Christmas. Uh, London had opened up and I decided to take my family away to London to stay at a fabulous hotel called the Mandarin Oriental and we had the most beautiful dinners and lunches and we went shopping in Louis Vuitton and I bought my sister a new purse and a wallet and I got myself some lovely Tom Ford and Chanel and it was just a very indulgent weekend and it was wonderful but we also overindulged in the champagne has to be said although I never suffer from hangovers because I do day drinking and I match every single drink with a glass of sparkling water so I'm never dehydrated and I wake up hangover free I literally have not had a hangover since I think I was about 20 so um, anyway we got back from London and we trained we trained in London on in the hotel gym on the Sunday morning because we like to train chest and triceps um, in the hotel gym and then we came home and it was Monday morning and I really did not feel like training legs Normally we train legs on a Tuesday and we have Monday off. So I wasn't really I wasn't really primed for training legs because I had had, you know, quite a few drinks on the weekend and then we got them back quite late on Sunday and and I just I just you know my headspace just wasn't in it. And you know like some days you're really, really pumped to train in the gym and then other days it just takes a, a wee bit more of a mental effort. So that's how it felt on Monday. My body felt fine, we walked in the morning, I had energy, but I just felt like my head wasn't in it. So anyway, Ryan came down and he says, right, we're training legs. This is after breakfast. And I was like, oh, fuck, are we training legs? And he said, he goes, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, I'm all ready. And I was like, really? And he goes, well, you don't have to. I can just go on ahead and train. And that's very much Ryan, right? It's very much a man thing. I was like, no, you're not going to go and train without me. Don't be daft. And I said, okay, that's fine, we'll train. So anyway, I dragged my sorry ass into the gym and I thought, I know once I get going, I'll be fine because that is what happens. You know, you, you never want to train. And then once you get in there and you get going, you're fine. They always say the hardest part of, of going to the gym is actually getting there. So I uh, went into the gym. We did our first set of leg extensions and I, you know, maxed out, went to full stack and leg extensions, worked really, really hard. And then it was into squats. And I've been pushing up in my free bar squat weight because I don't have my Smith machine in my new gym yet. We we converted a garage, our garage into the into a gym and a beautiful, fully equipped gym. It's absolutely fucking epic. Like it cost me... What it cost me? $75,000, not even joking. So it's an absolutely phenomenal space. And um, so, but I haven't got my Smith machine yet. So we were doing free bar squats. So anyway, I loaded up the bar, did, you know, one set of squats, two sets of squats, um, did my third set of squats. And I think I, I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't doing that heavy. I think it did 40, 60, 80, uh, no, maybe a bit more. I think it did 60. 80, 90 or 60, 80, 100, 60, 60 kilos, 80 kilos, 100 kilos. And then I was going for 120 from a top set. And Ryan said, what weight do you want on? And I said, oh, I don't know. I was like, I just didn't know if I was feeling the 120. I said, so I said, I don't know, maybe I said, oh, sure, just throw the 120 on because that's what I've been squatting. So I said, just throw the 120 on. Ryan goes, okay, yeah. And so he's standing there waiting for me to decide, right? And, and I was like, I don't know. What do you think? And he was like, it's your weight, Kim. I'm not deciding for you. So I was like, oh, okay. I said, okay, just throw the 120 on. So we put the 120 on. Now, what I really wanted him to say was, go for the 120. I've got you. 
That, that's all I wanted, right? Because that's what Mark would have said. Mark would have said, sure, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, Mark would drop the fucking bar. No, you're all right. Sure, I've got you. You're not going to drop it. You're totally okay. Come on, you'll be fine. Six reps. Just six reps and you'll be grand. Mark, whenever I'm not feeling strong, Mark will be my strength, right? And that's that's just the way I train. So I got under the bar and I was just like, oh, my head wasn't in it. But I was like, come on, come on. I was like, oh, oh, oh. I gave myself a few like, you know, growls and whatever. And I thought, right, go, go, Kim. So anyway, Ryan stood in behind me to spot me and I inhaled, sucked up my smoothie through my straw using my vagina, pulled my navel to my spine, t- locked on my TVA and my transverse abdominis and I lowered and I was like, oh, I just wasn't really feeling. I thought, I don't, I don't want to go to full depth because what if Ryan doesn't? What if I have like a failure point at the bottom and it goes into my back? I'm always afraid of hurting my back in free bar squats. And I, so I, I went almost, I went to parallel, but not below parallel and went back up. And then I went to parallel again and then went back up again. So Ryan is behind me silently spotting me. So I go to four reps and I think, fuck, this is hard. So then I went to five and I, and I pushed up. He's still not spotting me. He has his hands on my shoulders, but he doesn't need to give me any assistance. So then on the sixth rep, I went down and he and he felt I had a wee sticking point at the bottom. So he kind of just pulled my shoulders back a little. So not lifting me up, just pulled my shoulders back to, um, and then I, I pushed all the way up and I was like, oh, and I went, oh my God, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not feeling it today. And Ryan's still silent behind me. And I went, okay, two more reps, two more reps. And Ryan's still standing silently behind me. And I went, no, do you know what? I can't do it. Boom. I said, I can't do it. And I racked the bar. And so Ryan steps away from me and sits down without saying a word. Okay. Now this is very Ryan. Ryan's not angry or punishing. He's not whatever. Ryan's just, Ryan just trains very, very differently to me. And so anyway, I racked the bar and then, you know, I, we started unloading the weights and I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. And I suddenly felt like the tears pricking the backs of my eyes. And I was like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. And then, um, and so Ryan said to me, uh, yeah, you, he goes, don't do deadlifts if you're not feeling it today. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. And I was trying not to cry because I didn't want to be a fucking cry baby in the gym, right? I didn't want him to go, oh, sweetie, what's wrong? And then we were like, I just feel so sad today. Like, no, really? It's not fucking all about me. This is training session too. So not that I'm afraid of crying. I'm not. I was just like, I didn't want... I didn't want to make an issue out of it because it was my issue. So I started taking the weights off and he took the weights off. And then he goes to me, are you sure? He said, you, you want to do deadlifts? I said, no, I'm fine. Don't worry. And he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing. And he was like, Kim, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing, please. I said, I'm totally okay, Ryan. I said, just give me a moment. I'm fine. I'll be fine. So then he comes over to me and he puts his hand on me, on my arm to, to hug me. And I went, no, 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 no. Don't hug me. Don't hug me. You'll just make me cry. And he went, what are you crying for? And then, of course, I burst into tears. I, was like, I don't know. I just feeling like I just got even describe it of course I started wailing in the middle of the gym and he's like looking at me completely bewildered like what the fuck are you crying for it's like I just don't know it's just like I just really and I started trying to explain to him right what was wrong I was like really I was like and I just was like why am I crying but really wanted to really what I wanted to shout at him was I'm crying because you're not fucking there to support me I need you there to support me whenever I need to be supported I was struggling I was emotionally struggling and what I needed to fucking hear from you was I got you I'm here for you babe you don't need to worry come on you've got two more two more and you know why you've got two more because I'm right here with you that's what I needed to hear I needed him to be emotionally strong for me whenever I couldn't be emotionally strong for myself but he couldn't even try that on right 
Why could he not try that on? Well, when I train, and I tried to explain to him, God love his heart, bless his heart, and he really listened, and he was like, okay, I'm going to try and be better, and if you can just give me the rule. I was like, I can't give you a fucking rule. It's not a rule. I need you to feel it. I need you to feel it when I need your support. He was like, I can't feel it. I don't even know what you're talking about. I was like, oh. I was like, I'm going back to Mark. I'm going back to Lisburn to train with Mark. I can't deal with this shit in my training every day. So, uh, so what's the point? What am I talking about? Well, when I train, right, when I do anything I give it my all I just cannot accept doing anything less than my all okay I just can't and so when I go into the gym to train like understand I'm squatting um like yesterday I did I did I now I dropped back in weight to go for full control depth yesterday and actually it was brilliant Ryan spotted me brilliantly because we had a really long conversation about it whenever we were we're talking whenever we were walking and we we really tried on his side and my side I even had to work this with my coach because it was such an issue for me it wasn't such an issue but I knew that if I was upset there might be an issue and so um, whenever I whenever I train, I give it my all, and I and I this week I I dropped back in in weight, and I went back to 110 kilos. But Ryan is also squatting 110 kilos, right? We deadlifted 142.5 kilos. That's 320 pounds. So I'm I'm squatting, um, I'm squatting about 100 200 pounds. Uh, or slightly more. I'm not. I'm squatting 220. Uh, yeah, I'm squatting. Oh God, I don't even know. 280 pounds. I think about 260, 280 pounds. Um, and I'm deadlifting like 320 pounds. Okay. But Ryan is too. And Ryan is a man. And he weighs 20 kilos, which is 42, po- 42 pounds. I think or more than 40, 50 pounds. I just can't do the calculations. He is like around 40 pounds, more than that, 45 pounds heavier than me. So really, he should be lifting a shitload more. But he doesn't. Do you know why he doesn't? Oh, because he has a niggle in his hamstring. And oh, because he has no cruciate ligament in his knee and he doesn't want to damage it. And oh, actually, the last time that he went quite heavy in the incline hack squat, he uh, damaged his hip and he had to get a, an arthroscopy. And I'm not saying these are not valid excuses, because they are. But <laughs> I really hope Ryan never listens to this podcast. So actually, it's not true because I've said this to him loads of times. There's a part of me... No, there's not a part of me anything. Okay, what am I trying to say without being dishonorable to my husband? I believe that Ryan holds back. Okay, and I don't believe that he holds back because of injury. I believe that he holds back in life because that's the kind of person that he is. And it's not a criticism. And I adore my husband. Um, But because I'm the kind of person who gives it my all, I give my all to everything that I do, it's so hard for me to train with somebody who doesn't do that. Now, whenever I trained with Mark Getty, Mark Getty is a monster. Like, he's a freaking mass monster. He has more muscle than any man I've ever seen in my life before. But Mark is that way because he's very like me. We're both the star sign Aries. Mark is a, if I'm going to train, I'm going to leave my soul on the gym floor. I'm going to crawl out of the gym vomiting, spitting, sweating on my hands and knees, knowing that I gave my all to that workout. And that's the way I like to train. So the reason why I'm squatting, I mean, Ryan's weights, not even squatting, right? Even in lat pulldowns, in bicep curls, in bench press, you know, Ryan is not in a bench press. I'm, I'm bench pressing 60 kilos for 10 reps. He's bench pressing 80 kilos for 10 reps. So he's not even benching that much more than me in a bench. And I am you know, 20 kilos lighter than him. And it's not that he's not capable of more. It's that Ryan believes that if you push yourself 
a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more, you will progress. And it is true, you will progress, but you'll progress at a snail's pace. And so, you know, I am the kind of person that I will go in and I'll say, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? So, you know, I drop the bar. So I can't get up from the squat. So, you know, I will always go to the very, very, very max that I can go to. I will go way beyond my comfort zone, whether it be in business, in the gym, in my relationships, in my body, anything, because that's the kind of person that I am. And I totally I totally know where I got it from because I remember um, I remember actually a few years ago I was selling uh, a, a I was selling a pram. We, you guys call it a stroller in America. We call it a pram over here. So whenever Corey was born, I bought him a, a, a stroller called a Bugaboo. And it was really expensive whenever we first bought it. It was over a thousand pounds for all the different components. And um, of course, then it did Kai and it did Maya and I think it did Jack too. And so therefore, by the time um, Jack and it, well, my kids were, Corey is what, 16 and Jack is nine. So they're seven years apart. I had four kids in seven years. So after Jack had finished with it, I decided that I was going to sell it because it was still in really good nick. And so I cleaned it, scrubbed it, washed it, power hosed it. Um, but there were a couple of wee bits that, and I ordered extra parts for it as well from Bugaboo itself, just to get into really prime condition, because that's the kind of thing I'm going to do. Um, if I'm going to sell something, I know you're always going to be chosen top of the list and you're going to make more money if you really go above and beyond to make the product look perfect or as good as new as possible. And so anyway, I, um, I, I, but there was a couple of wee bits that needed, that just needed fixed on it. I can't even remember what they were. So I said to my dad who um, has a, he's a, owns a car dealership and he has a workshop, um, like a, a, a mechanics workshop. And I said to him, if I bring the bugaboo down, can you, um, can you just fix these couple of wee bits on it for me? Because he's a real, we call my dad Mr. Fix-It. And so he was like, yeah, of course, no problem. So I, I brought the bugaboo down and I said to him, like, you see here, I said, there's, there's one wee bit, I can't even remember what it was, but there's one wee bit here missing and I wasn't able to get this from Bugaboo and I know that if I could just you know do you have something I could fix this and he goes oh I absolutely I'll make something for that so so dad's out in his workshop and he's getting this and he so he gets this I, he gets this br- oh I know what it was there was like it wasn't even a part of the, the buggy it was like ab- above the two front wheels there were these like bits that were sticking up and I don't know whether you could put like some kind of um they were just for decoration or you could put one of those what do you call those things that you attach to the buggy that a, a, a toddler like a toddler you know step with wheels on it I don't know what it was anyway but one of them was missing and it just made it look slightly unsightly so dad goes I know I can fix that so dad goes and gets the handle of a broom okay and he gets out a saw and he saws off a piece of the handle of a broom and then he takes it to this um, angle grinder and he's and he's like grinding it down so it's the exact proportion of the other one and I was like Oh, well, this is a little more than I expected. It's a little bit above and beyond. So dad grinds it all down and makes it and measures it. And I was like, dad, I think, you know, I don't think you need to go to this effort. He's like, no, 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 no. If you're going to do it, you have to do it right. So dad's grinding it and sewing it and doing this. And then he's, and he fixes it and whatever. And all of this little piece of a broom handle, right? So then he gets, um, <laughs> then he gets glue. That's like, no, no, it needs, like, it needs to be a really strong glue. No, but actually that's going to need a screw in it because that would come out. And if the person, if you knocked that against something, that would come off. God forbid something that dad had fixed on the bugaboo would come off in the future if someone knocked into it. He is not Mr. Half a Job. He is, if you're going to do a job, you do it fucking right. So he, anyway, took him about, I am sure, an hour and a half to two hours. I'm not even joking. 
right, to grind and fix. And then he got out some kind of paint and he and he matched the black paint to the paint of the thing and he painted it and then he dried it and then he and then he buffed it a wee bit to make it look the same and then he fixed it on and he screwed it and then he fixed the other wee bit of it and then he oh look and then I'm gonna touch up those wee bits here and he got out this polish and he polished and touch up all these wee bits. Well let me tell you see whenever the bugger bugaboo was finished it was as good as new. It looked absolutely amazing. To the naked eye you wouldn't even know the changes that he made. And I was standing there watching him, laughing, thinking, oh my God, now I know where I get it from. I was obviously trained by my father, you know, and I didn't even realize. I knew I always knew dad was like a bit of a, you know, a perfectionist or whatever and had perfect issues, but I didn't realize just how much I must have actually been trained by him. Uh, but as I watched him fix this bugaboo and settle for nothing less than perfection to like suffer nothing less than the best possible effort that he could put into it. I realized where I got it from. Dad was always like that. Like if we were, you know, we grew up on a, on a, wasn't a farm anymore, but we did still have a lot of animals. Dad had a car dealership. And if something in the yard needed fixed or painted or done, or, you know, he, the, the yard was yard was immaculate. There was never a blade of grass nor a leaf. I'm not even kidding. Like it was immaculate. Everything was painted. The upkeep was done. The grass was cut. Like it was a big yard. It was like a concrete jungle, big, massive yard car dealership. There was not one spot of rust on any piece of metal anywhere. He was an absolute and utter perfectionist. And he taught us all to be the same. He taught us to never, ever, ever give up while the job was not finished. Whether it be 10 o'clock at night and you were still brushing the yard or finishing up with the horses or feeding the dogs or all of the stuff that we used to do, dad always taught us you do, you always do it to the nth degree. And that's where I realized that, that I am like that. And, you know, when something needs done, right, when something needs done, you know what I do? I do it. I don't wait to do it. I don't write it on my list for the future. I do it. Like I use uh, voice notes on my phone continually. Susie is my wonderful, beautiful executive assistant. And I leave, as soon as something comes into my mind, I leave Susie a message. I'm like, Susie, can you please, um, it's Elaine's birthday on Thursday. Can you please arrange, I've just remembered, can you arrange flowers to be sent to Elaine? And, uh, there's something else, but I can't remember what it was. And then I go, oh, right, okay. Remember what it was. Can you please arrange for blah, 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 blah. And I just, you know, anything that I need to be arranged by Susie, I just voice note it off to her immediately and it gets done. Now before, um, you're probably going, oh, well, that's all very well for you, but we don't know how to assistance to do all of our shit for us well listen totally get it but I didn't have a fucking assistant a few years ago either and I'm still this way but the reason why I'm hyper efficient now and get so much shit done there's a lot of swearing in this podcast today isn't there but the reason why I get so much done is because I have this trait and so whenever I used to do the things myself I got loads and loads of things done now that I have a full team of people to do them for me I get even more done but it's not the team that causes me to get a lot done it's me as a person, I'm the kind of person who does a lot of shit that needs done. Do you know what Ryan does whenever something needs done? This seems like I'm slagging Ryan off here and I'm not. I'm just using it as a comparison because we, you know, they always say opposites attract and we're very different people. When something needs done, do you know what Ryan does? He waits and he thinks about it and he assesses it and he considers it and he says to himself, yep, yep, definitely must do that. And he writes it on his to-do list, but never really gets done and <laughs> case in point we needed a new um a new cistern for our toilet our toilet it, our house is 100 years old i'm sure the toilet is also 100 years old the cistern stopped flushing it's one of those really old english cisterns you know that's up really high 
on the wall and has like a big long pipe coming out of it and it's got a big massive flush whenever you flush it there's no efficiency of water in our house and the water comes in and flushes it away well the cistern stopped working and because Ryan is the man of the house and because I am now working full time and earning all the money I have decided that Ryan needs to do a little bit more and it's not that he isn't he is unwilling to do things it's just that he doesn't do them fast enough for me so I decided to Ryan you are the man of the house will you would you be willing to take care of the toilet problem and he goes oh yeah yeah sure no problem at all yeah I'll do that so the next week I said to him well Ryan did you did you do have you fixed the toilet yet oh yes that's right you know I must do that must do that so next week Ryan what about the toilet anything happening with the toilet oh yes yes I was looking at cisterns online I said don't look Ryan just choose one doesn't fucking matter what it looks like just choose a cistern oh right right okay I'll do one week later Ryan what about the cistern oh yes right I must get to do that week later Ryan is the toilet fixed uh, oh no I have chosen a cistern I just need to go to the Boucher Road and pick it up okay next week Ryan uh what about the cistern oh yes no we need to go to the Boucher Road next week Ryan have you got I swear to god this went on do you know how long it took for our downstairs toilet to be fixed eight months people kept coming into our house and going my mum would come in and go have you still not got that toilet fixed and I would look at Ryan and go, are you fucking serious? But here's the thing. I refused to fix it. I refu- I could have had that toilet fixed. A plumber booked the toilet fixed in four days, right? Literally four days. And it took Ryan eight months to fix that toilet. And almost nearly caused a divorce in our house. And actually, we actually got to a point one day where I was like, we need to have a serious talk about our relationship because I'm not happy anymore. Because I was like, I cannot live this way. I cannot live with this type of apathy. Like it's, it's just not how I'm built but I also can't do everything (laughs) I need you to do something Um, and so eventually the toilet did get fixed but it really did just show me you know how I am the kind of person who does hard shit who just gets it done I'm willing to be uncomfortable now here's the thing about my husband Ryan is not willing to be uncomfortable he would prefer to be he prefers to not risk being uncomfortable Because success is important to him, but being comfortable is more important to him. So when we're training in the gym, Ryan will go to the edge of his comfort zone. Sometimes he'll push a little bit past into failure. He'll say, no, 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 how you build muscle, how I've decided is the best way for me to build muscle is keep perfect form the whole way through and just fail on the last rep or fail on the last two reps. But Ryan and I have very, very different views of failure. Like whenever I'm failing, I'm like, like anyone who watched my Instagram story yesterday I pulled a deadlift it was 142.5 kilos it was my heaviest deadlift I've ever pulled because I swore I would never deadlift again but now here I am enjoying it and I screamed the whole way to the top I was not letting that deadlift stay on the floor and oh my god at the top I was like fuck and I was like I was like right let's go and I pulled it for five reps I probably could have done another one but I really I was happy with the five and um and so I will literally willingly go into my into discomfort in every single situation in life I do not avoid discomfort I am not a comfort avoider I am a discomfort seeker but most people and I would say 80% of the world is like this most people are discomfort avoiders which means that they will get a little bit uncomfortable just a little bit uncomfortable you see this all the time with people starting and growing online businesses they'll say to me 
my God, right. What do you need to be six? What do you need to do to be successful? And I'll say, well, here are your, here are your numbers. You will sell 2% of registrations, which means if you have a 997 product, you're going to sell 2% of registrations, which means that if you register a thousand people, you're going to make 20 sales, right? You're going to make $20,000. So you can spend $10,000 comfortably on ads to get those thousand people to make $20,000 because then you've got a $10,000 profit. And they go, $10,000 on ads? And I go, yep. And they go, oh, but I don't have that kind of money. And I'm like, I know, but 2%, you'll always sell 2%. If you do everything correctly, like I've told you, you'll sell 2%. And they go, I said, so you're making $20,000 anyway. So you're still in profit. And then you use that money to reinvest and grow. And they go, oh, okay, right, okay. So then I say to them, oh, how was your launch? And they go, oh, it wasn't really very good. I only had two people sign up. I'm like, only two? And I say, how many people did you have registered for your challenge? Um, well, only um, like a, only like 100 I'm like, oh, well, why do you only get a hundred? Oh, because I was afraid to spend that money on on Facebook ads, and so you know. And I said, well, how much did you spend? Oh, just under a thousand. I'm like, okay, so well, so you you did really well. You sold, you spent a thousand pounds. You got a thousand, or you got a hundred registrants. That's normal, and you sold two percent. So you sold two. So exactly what I told you was true. You sold two percent. Had you spent ten thousand, you would have got twenty. You would have got two thousand registrants, or whatever the numbers were, you know, and you would have sold far more. But people don't want to risk. Okay, they. They, they push to like, oh, what would I be comfortable spending on Facebook ads and they go you know they go oh, a, a thousand is all I'm comfortable spending you know what I did whenever I ran my first launch I said to myself how much can I afford to lose I didn't have any money I didn't have any money but I was like how much can I afford to put on a credit card to fund this launch beef and still be able to pay it back even if I didn't make a penny and, and, I, and I knew that it would take me a long time to pay it back, but I was like, how much can I afford to spend? And I re- and I, so I, I realized I could afford to spend $14,000, which was about 10,000 pounds, 13,000, $14,000. And so that's how I made my decision. It wasn't what feels comfortable for me because what felt comfortable whenever I was doing my first launch was zero, fucking nothing. I was terrified, terrified. But I spent 10,000 pounds. I made $52,000. So I spent $14,000 and I made... $52,000. And so my hypothesis was correct because I had run the numbers. I'd done the math. I know that sales is just a, a game of math. And I and I knew that I would do anything that it took, anything that it took to sell in those webinars. And I made $52,000. So, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be cautious of money. You should. But what I'm saying is possibly your cautiousness is the thing that's holding you back from being successful, whether that is in business or whether that is in life. And you can train yourself to be this way. You really can train yourself to be this way. And if you take a risk and now suddenly you're hyperventilating, well, just be be present with yourself and be like, oh my God, I'm fucking hyperventilating. I take risks in business all the time. But I guess for me, what I have is I have this inbuilt determination, this inbuilt belief in myself that I can get myself out of sticky situations. But do you know why I believe I can get myself out of sticky situations? Because I've gotten myself out of some fucking seriously sticky situations in the past. So I have a lot of data. I've gotten myself out of being arrested, out of doing drugs, out of fucking like all kinds of crazy shit my parents didn't know that I was getting up to when I was a teenager. I got myself out of all kinds of crazy shit whenever I started my business or I started bodybuilding. I've, I've taken risks with, with my training. I've squatted 220 kilos. I've, you know, on the, on the incline hack, hack squat, 
I've I had a hundred thousand pounds on a credit card bill last year when the fucking pandemic hit. And do you know what I did? I said, you will not hold me down. And I went on to have the best financial year I've ever had in the business. We made four, nearly five million dollars in revenue in the middle of a global pandemic. Were we all exhausted? Yes. But did we go down in flames? No. Why didn't we go down in flames? Because I am not the kind of person who will allow myself to fail. And that is the attitude that you need to have if you are to be successful in the gym or if you are to be successful in the business. Because the kind of person you are or the kind of person you train yourself to be will determine the level of success that you have. If you just go a little bit out of your comfort zone and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more, You will never, ever see any kind of measurable success. You may die or retire before you ever see a million dollars or you ever see, you know, melon crushing thighs or the spectacular body that you have have dreamed of. If you're in your 50s listening to this and you are just going a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Sister, you ain't ever getting fucking shredded before you're like in your grave. (laughs) You're really not getting jacked, especially if you're in your 50s, right? It's going to take you far too long. It took me five years to get completely jacked. And I've just described you the kind of person I am. I leave my soul on the floor. If you only put in a quarter of the effort I'm putting in, you're going to get a quarter of the results. You know what a quarter, you know what five is a quarter of? 20. You're going to be in your 70s by the time you see my kind of success because most people will never ever do what I do in the in the gym or in business. And you know who I recognized has this trait, actually? My son, Kai, who is really my nemesis. I've talked about him on this podcast before. I adore him, but holy shit, he has been a difficult individuating teenager up until about the age of 14. But something happened recently. And here's what happened, right? Kai decided to go back to school. And all of my kids, I have to be honest, I really did feel like a bit of a failure as a mother. I was like, I really feel like I failed my child that he wants to go to school. No, I'm only joking. I really, I really didn't. But I was a bit disgusted. I was like, really? This is going to have to fucking do homework and shit with you now and pick you up. I'm, I'm far too busy to be picking you up and dropping you off from school. And, uh, and he was like, no, no, it's fine. I'll walk. And no, no, it's fine. I'll figure it out. And I said, no, of course, son, if you want to go to school, it was actually me suggested it. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of saying all this in jest. I, I don't really, didn't really want him to go to school because it's inconvenient. And I don't really believe school teaches you anything worthwhile. Um, but I, but he wanted to go and he wanted to go and, you know, make more friends and be more sociable. And he, he has decided that learning is beneficial to him, even the kind of learning they do in school. And he wanted to go. So I'm here to support whatever it is my children want to do. So off he went to school. Now, what I have realized about Kai is he is so like me. He has all the traits that I have. He is disciplined and persistent and he is absolutely OCD. And here's what happened. He only started school two weeks ago, two weeks ago at the time of this recording. And within two weeks, his teacher told me that he is at the same level in mathematics as the rest of his class. And Kai has never taken a mathematics lesson is in his entire life. She actually, I was the headmaster called to have a chat with me as they do, you know, after the first couple of weeks, you know, how's Kai settling in? Is he enjoying it? Whatever. And he said to me, um, has he ever had um, a mathematics class? You said he hasn't had any formal schooling. And I said, no, he's never had any formal schooling. 
And he said, uh, he said, well, he's picked it up exceptionally quickly. And I said, well, he's been very, very persistent in his efforts. And of course, I came home the other night and he was like, can you help me with my homework? And I said, uh, yeah, well, what is it? And he goes, oh, it's fractions. It was adding and subtracting and multiplying fractions. I was like, oh, my dear God almighty. I don't even fucking remember what a fraction is. Never mind how to subtract it and multiply it, whatever. So I sat down. And I said, right, Kai. Let's go Google, teach me how to, how to multiply fractions. So Kai and I sat there from 9, 9, 9 p.m. till 11 p.m., which nearly killed me because I knew I was having to get up at 3.30. So we sat there from 9 to 11 p.m. and we Google taught us how to add, subtract, and multiply and divide fractions. And we realized there's really just a formula for each of them. And once you learn the formula, it's really simple. And so we did that. And then he was doing quadratic equations and areas of triangles and all this kind of stuff. We didn't do all that that night, but that's what he's been doing since. And Kai has literally through Google and textbooks or however, mostly through Google, because we call it the University of YouTube, you can learn anything from YouTube. So YouTube and Google have basically taught Kai high school math in under two weeks. Why? Because he's persistent, he's disciplined, he's determined, and he wants it. He sees the benefit of it and how it's going to help him, and he wants it. And he's been staying up every night studying until 11 or midnight. We have no bedtimes in our house. Our children always choose when they go to bed and when they give up. When they get up, we've never had arbitrary rules of bedtime. So he stays up to whatever time suits him, 11 or 12. Every morning he is out of bed. I hear his alarm go off at 7.30 a.m. This morning he got up at 7 a.m. because he had some homework that he wanted to study before he went into school. So every morning he gets himself out of bed. He gets himself to the kitchen. He makes himself his lunch, even though we have a private chef. And I always say, Lee will make your lunch. He says, no, no, it's fine. I want to make it myself. And he has literally done more in the last two weeks, more socializing with his friends, schoolwork. He plays tennis, um, has private tennis lessons twice a week. He has personal training twice a week. He's only 14. All my kids do. Um, and he does Chinese lessons twice a week. So he's moved his Chinese lessons to the evening. He now does them from 8 to 10 p.m. twice a week. And he has been the most focused and disciplined child I think I've ever met. Now, why is he this way? Well, of course, he probably has a little bit of this naturally. He's not an Aries, actually, like me. He's a Taurus, but... He probably has a little bit of this naturally anyway, because Corey, his eldest brother, is so like Ryan. Corey's very, very disciplined and focused, but only on the things he kind of enjoys. And so therefore, you know, whereas Kai is much, much more like me. But why is he this way? Well, of course, some of it is nature. But one of the things I've always allowed my children to do is is to get uncomfortable, okay? And Kai got Kai was getting more and more and more and more uncomfortable with being homeschooled. And we've never homeschooled our kids. We've never done any formal curriculum with them whatsoever. None, not one single lesson, any child ever. And so, but Kai was getting to the point where he, he went through kind of an awkward stage where he didn't want to go to volleyball and he didn't want to, you know, see any other friends or kids apart from like one or two close friends that he had. And he didn't, but he didn't want to go to school and he didn't want to do this. So he went through this stage where he got really, really, really uncomfortable. And then like, and he was always saying, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do. And I was like, Kai, you are a 14 year old boy and you are perfectly capable of entertaining yourself. I have to work. I have to work to provide for this family and I cannot provide you with entertainment all day. That is your responsibility. And so I allowed him to get bored and he got more and more and more shitty and shirty and he and he occupied himself by being mean to me and I just let him be mean to me. I didn't let him actually. I was like, it's not acceptable. Don't do that. Um, but, so he, but I could see him getting more and more and more and more uncomfortable. And I was like, please God, let him get so uncomfortable that he is forced to change because I nothing I suggested was going to change and I wasn't going to force him to do something again 
against his will because if I forced him to go to school or forced him to go to clubs or do something against his will, then he was just going to get defiant. But whenever a child is individuating, they're already defiant. So you don't want to give them anything else to defy. So anything Kai wanted, I was like, sure, sweetheart, no problem at all. Sure, whatever you want. Absolutely. Yep. You want to do that? Absolutely. As much as I could, I said yes. Until I realized sometimes he was just playing with me because he just wanted to entertain himself. And then I realized what was going on. And I said, no. So anyway, I was like, please, God, you let him get so uncomfortable that he wants to change. And it happened one day. He came to me and he said, because I kept saying, why don't you go to school? And he was like, I don't want to go to school. I'm not going to school. What if I got there and I didn't like it? And I was like, well, if you got there and you didn't like it. I said, you can go and try it. Why don't you just go and try it for a couple of weeks? I said, I'm sure they won't make you stay if you don't like it after a couple of weeks. So anyway, it literally got to the point where he was so lonely and so uncomfortable and so bored that he came to me one day and he said, I want to go to school. I said, great, let's enroll you in school. So we did. And I, I really worked hard to give him everything that he wanted. And because he got to a, such a point of discomfort, he, he changed. I always say that human beings will only change when change becomes easier than staying the same. So staying the same became so uncomfortable for Kai that suddenly he chose another option, which was going to school. And it's been the best thing that has ever happened to him. It's been the worst thing that's ever happened to me because <laughs> now I have all these, well, actually, I don't do the school runs. I have to say Ryan or Lorraine, our housekeeper, does them. And I did I did do a couple of runs today because Ryan was in Dublin. But so like it really doesn't fall to me. But unfortunately, Ryan still defaults to me and goes, oh, what about this? And what about this? What do you think about this? I'm like, Ryan, you just have to fucking sort this out, okay? I raised our children for the first 14 years of their life. Now it's your turn. So, um, but anyway, it's been really good. But why, so what is the point in in this? So my, my point in this very long-winded story is that I've raised all my kids to believe that they can take care of themselves. I've raised them all to believe they can take care of themselves. If they want something, they can learn it, they can find it, they can research it, or they can work for it. We've, like I stopped brushing my children's, children's teeth and putting them to bed whenever they were about six. Jack is nine. He's been putting himself to bed at whatever time he wants to go to bed from he was six years old. He brushes his teeth, he baths himself, he goes to the kitchen, he gets cereal. Ryan and I have been going to bed before our children for the last three to four years. Um, but I think before Jack was six, I think the older ones put him to bed if we wanted to go to bed first. Our kids know they're respectful. They know to be quiet when we're sleeping. They don't stay up really late. Maya goes to sleep about 11. Kai now goes to sleep 11 or 12 because he has to get up earlier. Corey told me last night he was in bed at 3 a.m. Jack usually goes between midnight and 2 a.m. Um, except whenever he has something on the next day and then he goes earlier. But they choose their own bedtimes. They recognize what, when they feel tired. They, um, they know how to research things because they have a lot of time for self-reflection. They're not constantly busy and being moved from here to here to here to here, from sports activity to after school club to class to whatever. They have a lot of time for meditation and reflection. They have a lot of time to figure out what's important to them and what they like. And they have the time and the resources to go and get the answers to the questions that they have. So they are great researchers. They know where to go to find the answers to, to problems. They are solution finders. All of them, every single one of them. And so that is why Kai has been able to integrate into school so quickly because we have brought our kids up to to go and find solutions to their problem, to understand that if they have a problem, they can solve the problem. And usually you can solve it with a little bit of grit, 
hard work and determination, okay? Not through forced chores or forced forced earning. I've never been like, I've never made my kids earn their pocket money. I, we just give them 20 quid a week each, 20 pounds a week each pocket money. Every single one of them gets the same amount. It's a, it's a lot for some young children, but I always wanted to give them enough so they had enough to save and enough to spend. So they've managed their own money for years and they all have hundreds of pounds in their bank accounts. They'll have their own bank accounts and cash cards. Even Jack, he has his own PayPal account and he transfers his own money to himself every week. I don't transfer his pocket money. He goes into my PayPal account and he transfers his own money to his PayPal account from mine. He has all the passwords. That level of trust when you give it to your children is completely and utterly life-changing for them because they learn from a very young age that they can be, that they are in charge of their own lives. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Have I lost bank cards? Yes. Have I failed? Yes. Have they like forgotten that they've transferred money before and like spent it on something else and then I've been out of pocket? Yes. But what I do is I make them pay it back or sometimes I don't and I say, don't worry, honey, failure happens. I'm not going to punish you for it. It's totally okay. But we've raised them with really, really good standards in life and we've given them autonomy over their own lives and their own freedom, which has caused them to be producers as adults. Now, what does this have to do with training in the gym, you're probably asking, because I am going to bring it back to training in the gym or to being successful, where I just wanted to kind of give you the points as to where, you know, especially if you're a mother or a father listening to this, that you can really apply these principles with your own children. The more freedom you can give your children, the less control you exert over them, unless you punish them and make them bad for their choices or for the mistakes they make or the failures that they have, the better adults you're going to you're going to raise. You're going to raise purposeful, joyful, disciplined adults who know that they can be producers in their own lives. And that's what I'm seeing now as my boys are getting into their teens, Maya's 11. They are the most incredible children. I don't even, it's not just me says that. People say it to me constantly. Maya's just started uh, riding lessons with, she has her own pony. She has done for years. She's going to start competing in three-day eventing. And so, not three-day eventing, just eventing actually. And um, so I got her this incredible event rider as a teacher. And she said to me last night, I have never taught a child like Maya. And I said, in what way? She said, she really listens. She listens. She's not defiant. She doesn't say, I can't or I won't. She doesn't, you know, try and wrestle with me to have her own way or to get out of doing things. She said, I've never taught a homeschooled child before. And I can tell you the difference is absolutely and utterly palpable. And I said, really? And she said, no, honestly, you have no idea. She said, every child I teach is just difficult. And it's it's consistent. The behaviors are consistent among them. And I said, well, you're an adult and homes and, and school children generally have learned that adults want to get them to do things that they don't want to do. And so they fight for their freedom and their autonomy. They're, they're, they're defiant or they're, they will push back as a default because they're constantly told what to do by their parents and by their school teachers. And so therefore, children develop this constant pushback as a default because they spend their lives being told what to do. My children have never spent their lives being told what to do. So they're not fearful of adults. And if an adult says who they have, you know, in a, in a discipline that they want to do, like horse riding, and someone says, jump this, try this, do this, they're not going to say, no, they're going to trust the person. Okay, well, I'm trusting that you are going to help me move towards my goal. So, and I don't think that you're putting me in danger. So I'm going to give it a, my best shot. And that's what they do, even at 11 years old. So, um, and I know that you guys love me talking about parenting on the podcast. So I just thought I'd throw a wee bit of that in as well. But you know, the, here's the thing, right? I didn't actually learn. I, I want to finish by saying that I didn't, I didn't, I don't want you to think that I was always this way. Like I kind of was always this way as in like I was the kind of person 
who would be very intensely focused on anything that I took on. So any endeavor or hobby or anything I took on, I never just did it. Like my dad with the bugaboo, I never just did it a little bit. I would go all in. Like if I decided I was going to eat a raw food diet, I went all in on the raw food diet. When I got pregnant and I had babies, I decided I was having home births. And if I could have had a husband-assisted home birth with no midwives there... I absolutely would have, but my husband was determined that that was not going to happen. So um, I had midwives at home, but I had home births with my kids. And so whenever, and whenever I did yoga, I became a yoga teacher. I did Ashtanga yoga. I did like, the, you know, I was doing back bends and press handstands and, and arm balances and all the advanced yoga stuff because I wasn't just going to do yoga. I was going to do the best yoga, the yoga to the best of my ability. And so I've always been that way, but I guess I wasn't, one thing I did lack was the consistency to follow through over the long term. And so I remember my aunt saying years ago, it must've stung me, but now I use it as a, um, I use it as a, a teaching point now, but she said years ago when I was about 20, she said, oh Kim, if only you could, I think it was about 24 actually. She said, oh Kim, if only you could stick at something, you would be very successful. And I was like, well, that's hurtful, <laughs> because but it was true. Like I was always going hell for leather into some kind of endeavor and then I would jump sideways and then I would jump sideways and then I would try someone else. People do this with my programs, right? With, you know, with not my programs, with all fitness programs. They go hell for leather into one program and then they go, oh, I'm a bit bored. And so they go to another program. Oh, this keto diet, this is going to be amazing. This is what's going to change my life. I'm finally going to get I'm finally going to get really thin. And then after a while, uh, keto doesn't really suit me. So then they change again. Oh, no, I'm doing acupuncture for weight loss. And this acupuncture is going to be amazing. And then uh, I'm not really seeing the results of acupuncture. So I'm going to go over here. No, I'm doing intermittent fasting. And you get the drift, right? So this is how people, um, this is how people do business. This is how they do life. This is how they do fitness. But if you want to transform your levels of success, you have to be willing to take risks, like I was talking about in the beginning, to walk into discomfort, to not only walk into it, to embrace it, to love it, to accept it as the new reality in your journey to success. And you have to be able to stay consistent. You have to be able to be consistently uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable more than you're comfortable. In a 24-hour period, apart from when I'm sleeping, I am uncomfortable more than I'm comfortable. But here's the thing. Being uncomfortable is actually comfortable for me. Be doing the hard thing is easy for me. Doing the hard thing is easier for me than doing the easy thing. Does that make sense? It's, it's easier for me to be persistent, to go all the time, to be energetic, to be sitting here recording the podcast at eight o'clock at night, even though I've been up from 4 a.m. You know, it's it's doing the hard thing is easier for me than doing the easy thing. If I lay on the couch all night watching fucking MasterChef, I would be like, oh my God, like if having so much anxiety because there'd be so many things I could be doing, so much of life I was missing out on, so many opportunities to make things better, whether it be physically, emotionally, in my life, in my house, in my body. I always think there's something to be done. Life is is designed to be lived, you know? And But I wasn't always this way. I I was kind of, but I'll tell you what changed for me. I remember whenever I was younger and like in my teens or my, in my, um, in my teens I, and my late teens, my early 20s, when I left university and I went out into the working world, I always wanted to be rich, right? I always wanted to be rich, but I kind of wanted to be rich and comfortable at the same time. 
And unless you, well, actually, I was going to say unless you inherit a lot of money, but I have a friend who's a very, 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 very wealthy heiress. Uh, let me tell you, she is not happy. <laughs> so money does not make you happy. But um, she's miserable in comfort, of course, but it's not that she's not happy. She is happy, but she's certainly not like ecstatic, like you would imagine every day having all this money. And so, um, but I always, interestingly, many people don't believe this whenever I tell them, but I wanted to be rich, but I wanted to be comfortable. And so I thought the best way to be rich, but comfortable was just to marry a millionaire marry a rich man or to marry at least a man who could work very hard and had a lot of prospects and seemed to be able to make a lot of money because I just wanted to be it's not that I wanted to be comfortable but I kind of wanted to do the things that I'm doing now I wanted to have enough money to be able to throw parties for my family every weekend and take them on expensive vacations and buy Louis Vuitton and Chanel and, you know, drop, you know, $75,000 on a vacation to Australia if I wanted to and fly my whole family first class. First class, like I wanted to live an expensive life. I've always wanted to be rich and I make no, I make no excuses for it or no apologies for it. I make no apologies for it. I always wanted to be rich and, but I didn't know how to be rich. I didn't know how to do it. But not only that, I wanted it faster. I didn't want to work all those years to be rich. I wanted to have it faster. Just like people want to pretend that they haven't been abusing their bodies for the last 20, 30 years. And now they want to be thin when they make the decision. And they want to be thin so badly that they will do anything. They will do acupuncture or Weight Watchers or intermittent fasting, or keto, or they will do all of these different fad diets, or take skinny teas, or fat burners, or injections, or cryolipolysis, or or what's the other one? You get fat sucked out of your thighs, like liposuction. They will do all of these things for quick fixes, because they know that actually what it will take to transform their body in the long term is a lot of fucking hard work. <laughs> over a long period of time. But nobody wants to do that. We all want the quick fix. We want it now. We want it fast. We want it quicker. We want it tomorrow. And we are impatient. And that is why there's a lot of fat unhappy people in the world because they're just not willing to work work hard. But I understand it. And I, this is you. You're like, oh my God, she's talking about me. I don't judge you. Because I was never that way with, with weight. But I was, um, I was like this with money. I wanted to be rich. I promise I wanted to be rich. Uh, but I thought the best way to be rich was just to marry a rich man. And so I dated a lot of very rich men who were knobs <laughs> and I never wanted to marry any of them. And I realized that I really just could not marry for money. I had to marry for love. And so then I met Ryan, who was an ex-famous rugby player who had his own company, who had a lot of prospects. And I was like, and I just fell head over heels in love with him. And so I was willing to compromise being super rich <laughs> for a man with a very hot body who I absolutely loved and love even more this day. And so, um, but I, I always wanted to marry a rich man because I, I just kind of wanted to live a really nice life. I didn't, I, did, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I wanted to meet the girls for coffee and, you know, and girl and girls trips and nice family holidays and stay in nice hotels. I, I actually really wanted to 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 be lazy, I guess. <laughs> and I wanted to be like a wag, like a um, or like a you know, like a, a wealthy stay-at-home mum. And no, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but I that is what I wanted. And so anyway then I and so years and years and years I had this dream that one day a man would say to me, sweetheart, I never want you to return to work. I just want to take care of you. And then Ryan one day we're driving in the car and he said those magical words to me. I was pregnant with Corey. Unexpectedly, I got pregnant after two weeks. 
trapped him <laughs> and so <laughs> sham marriage <laughs> um we were traveling in the car and i was pregnant with Corey, and i uh, can't remember i was talking about something and ryan said kim i don't care if you never go back to work because i was talking about when i go back to work and i was like really the magic words he said the magic words and i went really and he goes yeah he goes like my mom was always at home he said i would love for you to stay at home and raise our children and i would love nothing more than that and i was like oh <gasps> oh my God, you're like the best thing that's ever happened to me. I can't believe that someone would ever say that to me. Like I really thought that this was just like the best thing that had ever happened to me ever in the world. And I was so grateful. And so I marched joyously into being a stay-at-home mom and we kept having babies and babies and more babies and Ryan's company grew and he made some really good financial decisions. But Ryan does finances like Ryan does the gym. He takes a little bit of risk and a little bit of risk and a little bit of risk and every risk is calculated and mitigated and so therefore our finances grew in line with Ryan's comfort zone right he got a little bit uncomfortable and they grew a bit more and a little bit more uncomfortable and they grew a little bit more but after I think 10 you know what age was Corey when Jack was born Jack, uh, I'm trying to think it was after Jack was born which was nine years ago we were married in 2000 god I can't even remember now we're married in 2010 I think but we were together since 2005 we got together at the start of 2005 this is now 2021 so we're together oh my god I can't even count what, what is that, 16 years we're together 16 years so um nine years ago just after Jack was born we were together um seven years and I realized that Ryan was never going to be rich enough for me. <laughs> Ryan, I realized, was not the kind of person who was going to make a shed load of money, which is what I thought he would do. And I was going to reap the rewards of it because I was at home raising our four fucking children, like breaking my back, raising our children, co-sleeping, breastfeeding, like doing all the cleaning, the cooking, the ironing, doing this. And he was out at work every day. And dear God, I wanted to see just a little bit more produce for all the effort I was putting in raising these children while he was out working. And so I realized one day that the cold water of reality washed over me. And I realized that Ryan was never, ever, ever going to provide me with the life that I wanted. And if I wanted to have more in my life than I currently had with Ryan, it was going to be up to me to create it. And I did. And so I started foraying into the world of online marketing after Jack was born. Nine years ago, I was going to write a blog and then that turned into writing an ebook. And then I did write a blog and I started a website and started another website and I watched webinars and I found out about Pinterest and I found out about Facebook and I watched every single free webinar that existed in the world. And I read books and I um, and I hired web designers and I lost loads of money and I made a little bit of money and I lost even more money. And I learned about email marketing and Aweber and I learned about the back end of websites and WordPress. And I just kept teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching myself, thinking that at least I'm moving forward. And I knew if I just kept searching, one day I would find the idea. And what I didn't realize was all of that work I did to learn about internet marketing, which never made me any money in itself. I was trying to start online businesses um, in the, the coaching sphere, but I wasn't a coach. I didn't you know, know how to coach people on, into starting really successful businesses. And I wasn't a Facebook ads expert or nothing like that. So it was only as I started training as a vegan bodybuilder quite accidentally a few years later that I was then able to launch The Sculpted Vegan which grew um, which launched in 2017 
And within its first, so 18, 19, 20, 21, it'll be uh, four years this October. So at the end of our financial year in 2020, our turnover was nearly 5 million. And I did that in uh, three and a half years. So in three and a half years, we went from zero to a five million turnover and I did it all myself. I didn't borrow any money. I didn't get any, of course, I got lots of help from people, but not not really, only people that I hired. Um, I grew my Instagram following to 420,000 followers and I grew a team of 30 people worldwide and I did all of that while still looking after and raising my children and sculpting my body in the gym. And when I could afford to, I hired help. I hired my housekeeper. And then I hired, you know, Alan, who is my chief technology officer. And then I hired, you know, Jamie. And uh, so the company grew. So I hired people in to help me. And then I hired Lee, our chef. That took a massive pressure off me not having to cook at home. But in the, in the beginning, I did it all myself. And so um, so what is, the moral, what is the moral of the story? And what does this have to do with training? Well, what I realized was that, like I said, if I wanted it, I had to build it myself. No one was coming to save me, okay? Like Kai, he got so bored that he realized he did not want that life. And so he changed it. And he's very focused and purposeful to change it. But you don't have to have a moment like I had. You don't have to have the cold water reality washing over you in order for you to yeah, in order for you to change, you can just decide to change right now. And so what does this have to do with training? Let's go back to the original point where I cried in my first squat. Well, I am the kind of person who seeks discomfort. I seek it out. I look for it. I embrace it. It feels comfortable to me. But Ryan isn't that way. He can't even try on what it's like to be me because he avoids discomfort. He goes to the edge of his comfort zone and no more, then to the edge of his comfort zone and no more, and then to the edge of his comfort zone and no more. It's like, you know, it's like a baby who only walked like five steps a day and then the next day, maybe six steps and then the next day, seven steps. Instead instead of just realizing one day, fuck me, I can get up and I can walk all day. It's, you know, always pres- preserving a little bit of yourself. So Ryan, that's the way Ryan is. And so he's not a good training partner for me because he doesn't intuitively understand what I need because he can't understand what it's like to get under a squat bar or or pull a deadlift off the floor where you literally feel like you're going to shit yourself. I get nervous before I train. I like I have to really like like <sighs> rile myself up when I when I when I push up with 220 kilos on a on a well actually I do 100 kilos on a V squat or 120 on a free bar. When I have that weight on my back, there's always that little fear that you could get injured. Now Ryan because I have an injury in my lower back, Ryan is afraid that he's going to get injured when he squats. But rather than I still risk the injury, but I do everything that I can to mitigate it. Like I, I, I rather than pull back on the weight, I, I learn more about the transverse abdominis and turn it on. I learn more about how to protect myself so I can still push really hard and go heavy. Ryan just doesn't go heavy. So Ryan protects himself in a different way. He protects himself by staying out of the danger zone. I go into the danger zone, but I put on my helmet, my knee pads, my elbow pads, my fucking beekeeper outfit. Like <laughs> I will armor myself and go into the danger zone and, and take that risk. Whereas Ryan does not armor himself because he stays out of the danger zone. So emotionally, he never has to armor up for those heavy, heavy weights 
because he never lifts them, because he never pushes that far out of his comfort zone. And so therefore, he can't even understand me when he's standing behind me and I'm going, oh, I don't know, I'm not feeling that today. And I'm going, two more. He's standing there and he can't even try on what that feels like for me. He just thinks I'm having a wee talk with myself. I'm having a wee, oh, two more, not really feeling it. And he's thinking projectively, you know, you know about projection because I teach all the time. He's just thinking that I feel like he feels whenever he's got a squat rack on a bar on his back, which is, yeah, it's heavy and it's a bit uncomfortable, but it's not that uncomfortable. So if he was ever going, oh, I don't know that I'm feeling it today, he would kind of be maybe teetering on the edge of his comfort zone. Whereas I'm fucking, I'm already like hook, line and sinker. I've jumped off the edge and I'm fucking sinking, baby. You know, when that bar's on my back, you know, I am, I've taken a risk, but he can't try on what that's like because he's never, he doesn't put himself in there. And that doesn't make him a bad person, by the way. It doesn't make you a bad person if you don't do it. But what I want you to get really, 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 really real on, <laughs> what I want you to be completely in reality about is don't lie to yourself. Okay, don't kid yourself. Pride is a terrible thing. When Ryan and I talked about this the other morning when we were walking, he tried to defend the fact, no, 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 I do go past my comfort zone. No, 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 I do. It's because of the injury. I said, Ryan, it's really not because of your injury. I said, I understand that you're scared of, you know, injuring yourself and, you know, you're nearly 50 and you were a professional rugby player and all that. But I've known you for 16 years and you're not the type of person to go outside your comfort zone willingly. And that's what stops you from training hard in the gym. And that's what stops you from being an intuitive spotter. And that's not bad. It's just different. Okay. But here's the difference. Ryan doesn't really want to build massive amounts of muscle. He really doesn't want to change his physique that much because if he did, he would make himself more uncomfortable. He wants it, but he doesn't want it badly enough. So my question to you is, how badly do you want it? Because everything that I do, I can't even, I can't even try on because I have it naturally in the inside. And if you don't have it naturally in the inside, where you just don't go to failure in everything that you do and take risks, then you have to ask yourself, how badly do you want it? Because you might not want it that much. And that's okay. But don't lie to yourself. Don't pretend that you're doing more. Don't blame the diet or blame the meal plan or blame the workout program or blame the fact that you just did it with the resistance bands and Kim Constable told you that you would get good results and you didn't. So it's her fault. Just take a long, hard look at yourself and say, well, where does my responsibility lie here? And did I really push that hard? Can I be honest with myself and say that I kind of felt like how Kim's describing it now? Because I would imagine if you're 80% of the world, you probably didn't, okay? You probably didn't. And the main reason I've used, the main reason I've been successful isn't because of any system I've used or emails, system, e- emails that I've sent or webinars that I've done or five-day challenges or anything like that. Or even in, in bodybuilding, it's not the gym program or it's not the fact that I've had Mark as my training partner. Because let me tell you, I thought that when I convinced Ryan to come and train with me and Mark, that Ryan's body would explode. I just thought, oh my God, because I, I didn't even be- I didn't even know it was me before. I thought it was Mark pushed me. I used to say, oh, I love Mark because he, like, he just knows he just pushes me so hard. And then whenever Ryan came to train with us and I realized Mark, Ryan didn't let Mark push him. Not only did he not let him push him, Mark didn't even try and push Ryan. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not putting more weight on? Don't don't let him off with that. He didn't even fail. Why would you not make him do another set? And Mark was like, well, he doesn't want to do another set. He doesn't do another set. I can't force him. And, I, and then I realized I had this moment, this epiphany one day, and even sent Mark a message. I was like, holy shit, all along I thought it was you. But it's not you, it's me. And he said, 
of course it's you. It's always been you. That sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Mark was like, it's always been you. I, I, I've I, never pushed you harder than you're willing to push yourself. He said, Kim, there's very few people are willing to go there like you are. He said, that's why I love training with you. Because you come in here and you give it your all. He said, most people don't do that. I was like, really? He was like, no, Kim. Like, I couldn't even understand how people didn't do this. I was like, why would anyone come train in the gym? If they didn't, if they don't give it their all. And he said, because people are afraid of being uncomfortable. And so whenever Ryan went to train with us, I realized, oh my God, it's not Mark. Mark's not pushing me. It's me pushing me. And that was a massive epiphany for me. And so you have to get out of the fact of whether you're listening to this for a business reason or a personal reason or a bodybuilding reason, you have to stop kidding yourself that if you just figured out the right system, you'd get the results. If you just had the perfect supplement stack and the perfect workout, if even if you had a PT, if you didn't have to train in your home gym and you had a professional gym to train in, or if you had a home gym like Kim Constable, or if you could just spend like a month with Kim Constable or six months and actually that's going to be an option I'm offering a six month mentorship program with me personally um, with the Million Dollar Mentor but people say oh if I could only spend six months with Kim Constable I'll have her success if I can just learn her systems and meet her team and get her financials and all of her emails and her launch documents and figure out how she creates program I can have her success no you won't. 85% of people, 90% of people won't. You know why? Because it ain't the system that makes you successful. It's what you have on the inside. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to, to risk failing and you have to seek discomfort and not don't stop until you get it. I risk and I fail and I risk and I fail and I risk and I fail. And that is the reason why I'm successful. It isn't because of a system that I've used. It's because I'm not afraid of failure. And so to sum up this podcast, it actually got really long, but dear God, I've enjoyed recording it. Um, You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Pushing a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more makes the journey long and slow and frustrating. And you have to stop lying to yourself and pretending that you're doing more than you are. Most people just lie to themselves. I see it all the time in our in our um, programs. I see it in Buns and Guns at the minute. People are, they're lying to themselves about, and they, they post these pictures where they're in the butt camp. I don't really see it in Buns and Guns yet, but in all the other programs, they post these pictures and they're like, these are my seven week progress pictures and I'm really disappointed. And I look at them and I'm like, yeah, you haven't been working. They're like, I have, I've been working so hard. I'm like, no, you haven't, sweetheart. Because if you actually followed the program for the last seven weeks, unless you have a medical condition, which would stop you from losing body fat. It's a physical impossibility that you've been following the program the way it's supposed to be followed. The body doesn't lie, just like the bank account doesn't lie if you're working hard in your business. You know, it's your the amount of effort you put in is a direct, indirect correlation with the, with the results that you will get in anything that you do in life. I get the best results. I make millions of dollars. I fucking shop in Louis Vuitton and take my family on $10,000 weekends to London because I'm willing to get up at 4am, 3.30am, whatever, for weeks on end. I'm willing to come to the office and record this podcast because I will not let myself off the hook with recording my weekly podcast because I made a commitment to myself and to you that I would show up. And sometimes I have to choose differently. And I do. And I don't beat myself up for it. Sometimes the podcast didn't get recorded. Okay. I had to choose differently and that's okay. But 99.9% of the time, I'm persistent. I show up even when I don't want to. I see the value in what I'm doing and I don't let myself off the hook. But you have to decide to go there. It's a decision that you have to make. And you have to decide to not only accept it, to embrace it. And when you do, you will 
enjoy unparalleled levels of success. I promise. (sighs) I just realized I've been talking for one hour and 17 minutes. So... (laughs) Hopefully you're still with me and you haven't like nodded off, but I'm sure you probably finished your cardio or whatever it is that you were doing for 60 minutes expecting me to stop blabbering on. Um, but hopefully you did enjoy this. Oh my God, I so enjoyed recording this. I love it when I'm all fired up for recording a podcast. Um, and so hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed it. Please, please, please don't forget to leave me a review um, or just, you know, write something really lovely. I love reading the reviews. If you can take a moment, even if you don't want to win a program, if you can take a moment out of your day to write a review and send it to me and tell me what you enjoy about this podcast, because honestly, it gives me life reading your reviews. I love reading them because they get emailed through to me by iTunes every time they're left. So um, please do Sam, yeah, leave me a review. I would just love to read um, what you um, what you want from this podcast. And also we send out one last thing before I go. We send out a weekly uh, a weekly email with the podcast with the link to the podcast to our list and last couple of weeks I asked for people to reply to the emails um, to tell me what they what subjects they wanted me to um, to cover on the podcast so I did this for two reasons the first one is because I genuinely want to know what you guys want to hear a lot of menopause actually a lot of menopause requests all those emails are being sent directly to me um, and so a lot of menopause requests um, which is really fantastic and what else um Oh, yes. So what I was going to say was if you're on our email list and you do get that email with the weekly podcast, I would love for you to reply to the email because my team is um, putting all the responses into a spreadsheet. And then I'm going to go through the spreadsheet and we're going to do some kind of data correlation to see what people most want to listen to. And that's going to help us to create our future programs and freebies and all that stuff as well. So it is nice if you send it to me on Instagram. It's even better if you respond to the email. So a heartfelt plea from me, if you enjoy this content, please just take two seconds out of your day and do something to give back, which is send reply don't send me an email I want you to reply to the email the reason why I want you to reply to that one is because our open rates and Infusionsoft have been hurt really badly recently because we had a lot of spam traps in our massive email list we have an enormous email list and so if you respond to the email it actually really boosts our um, our delivery content I don't know I'm not an expert in it but it really does boost if people respond to your emails on your email list it, it boosts your delivery rates um, your open rates and more of them are delivered so don't ask me why they're not delivered it's really heartbreaking to spend all that time and effort getting people's uh, contacts for your email list to not even have the fucking emails delivered but anyway Hotmail and Yahoo and Gmail just hate us what can I say um, guys this was awesome hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting to you and um, I will chat to you next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast look out for the million dollar mentor.com it'll probably be live tomorrow uh, which is Thursday the oh my god don't even know what date it is today let me just check my watch uh, Thursday the 4th of June 2021 no Thursday <laughs> sorry start again Thursday the 3rd of June 2021 um, it should be live by then if you're listening to this any other time then it's probably not relevant but uh, go to the million dollar mentor.com to sign up for the free five-day challenge which is how to create run and scale your own seven-figure online business in a five-day training completely and utterly free for you and I hope to see you inside the training and I will definitely chat to you next week on the podcast but for now all that is left to say is adios and I love you all so much and thank you so much for listening can't wait to chat to you again have a wonderful rest of the week wherever you are and bye for now